Rejection of God is most often not scientific, but personal. This thought of how could he? It doesn't seem fair. I heard somebody say that this week, and it's kind of stuck with me. Our, our story today was prompted by a conversation I had with a rabbi a couple of weeks ago, and um, it was just really good and really interesting. And, I, I, you know, I don't know that much about, about our current Judaism, but I know this, that this guy had an amazing comprehension of grace. It was just really amazing. And how that story is just the entire Bible. Um, I've always had, or not always, but I've for a long time had this sense that to really understand a story, we have to know what happened before what happened happened. To really know a story, you have to know what happened before what happened happened. And so we're going to read our story, for the most part, backwards today. And we're, we're going to keep asking, well, what happened before this happened? It's the, the story of Joseph. If you're familiar with the Bible, it's a fairly familiar story. And if you're not, I, I hope I can fill in enough of the blanks that you won't feel like you're, you're left out. And one other thing is today I'm not going to put the Scripture on the screen. Every once in a while, I think it's good practice to enter into the way the Scripture for most of history have be, has been experienced, which is by listening. It, it sometimes helps us not be quite so maybe academic and, it, it, and to enter into the Scriptures maybe in just a slightly different way. We don't have to do it that way or always, but most people through history didn't read personally. They listened to it in a community of people. So we'll try that today. I'm reading out of Genesis 50, and then I'll be going backwards. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to Joseph, Joseph wept. There's a little surprise twist at the end. We'll discover what happened, but suffice it to say, the brothers, there's a, ten of them that were part of this, they, they did a horrible thing to Joseph. If I were to ask you, what was the primary emotion that you heard from the brother's perspective? I think it would be fear. And if I were to simply ask you, what, what was Joseph's response? What was Joseph's primary emotion? It was sadness. Why were the brothers afraid, and why was Joseph sad? Well, we're going to find out what happened before what happened happened. I'm going to turn over a 
couple of pages, and we'll continue this reading. It says this. Then Joseph could no longer control himself. Before all his attendants, he cried out, Have everyone leave my, my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard him. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And and when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother and the one you sold into Egypt. And now, don't be distressed. Don't, Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me because it was to save the lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. It was not you who sent me here, who sent you here, sent me here. (laughs) It was God. I know it's, it's seeming a little confusing. We're, we're going to, I'll fill in the blanks in just one moment. But before this happened, what happened? A couple chapters back. Jacob. Jacob is um, another word for Israel. That was his name. He, God gave him the name Israel. Um, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan, and this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks of his brothers, the sons of Bilal, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So here's what happened. You get the important beginning of the story. Joseph was his dad's favorite. Um, Jacob had, you know, a few wives and had kids by different wives, and, but he had a favorite wife, one he loved more than the other wives. And, um, and he was older, kind of like Abraham. I think he began to think... Uh, I'm not going to have a kid with this wife, but then this miracle or whatever happened, they conceived. And the joy of having waited for so long and then having this son, he he coddled him. He loved him in a way that was different than the other boys. The boys, as you could hear, because of this love Joseph had, um, were incredibly incredibly jealous 
It says they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Well, one day, the, the boys are out, the ten boys, they're out working. They've been working for a long time. They were, they were shepherds, and so they were having to take the flock and move it. And it's, it's hard work. It's daily work, and you're gone for a long time. They're, they're not with their families. They're, and they move from one place to the next, and um, Jacob is wondering, hey, where are they? And so he sends Joseph to go find out, all right? And it says that when the brothers saw Joseph coming, they could see him coming, they immediately conspired to kill him. Now, again, there's some things we may want to pay attention to if we're going to get to what really happened at the end, is who's doing all the work at this moment? The brothers. What's Joseph's job? He just has to go find them. If you were to compare which job was more difficult, to be gone for months and months at a time, moving sheep all over and, and missing your family, or just running out and seeing where they are and going back and tell dad. You, you see, the story of the, the brother's jealousy, as we read it, it feels incredibly justified. I'm not saying, you know, what they wanted to do to him is justified, but the feeling, I get that. And so, they conspire to kill him, but uh, then they're, you know, they kind of get feel a little bad about that. And there's this big, deep cistern, place where they hold water, and they just dumped him in there while they're still talking about what to do with him. Do we kill him? Do we not kill him? And so they decide, um, yeah, let's not kill him. And in that moment, here comes a caravan of Ishmaelites. So they're, they're heading down to Egypt. And so they get this idea, hey, I know how we can get rid of him and make a little money on the side. They drag him out of the cistern. The caravan comes by and they go, hey, we'll sell you a slave for 25 bucks. And so they sell their brother to the Ishmaelites who head off to Egypt. They're done with him. They take the coat that the dad had made. They dip it in some blood. They take it back to their dad and they say, bad news, dad. Looks like some big animals got our, got our little brother. We're, we're just tore up about it. Now, there's this story that happens, of course, um, many, many years, many, many years, Joseph is in Egypt, and uh, lots of things happen, and, uh, but over a period of time, Joseph becomes the second in command of all of the Egyptian empire. Took a long, long time. I'm going to rehearse from the beginning, from the end to the beginning again. Um, primary feelings of the brothers at the end of the story that we read was they were afraid. Primary feeling of Joseph, he see, was sad, and we're trying to wonder why. We have more information, we think, about the brothers. Genesis 45, the part I read where the brothers, after all these many, many, many years, they come back to Egypt because there is a famine in their land. And their dad says, go see if you can buy some food from the Egyptians. And they show up, and it's been so long since they saw their little brother, and he is now regal and in charge of all Egyptians, Egypt. They couldn't comprehend, and they don't know that he's their brother. But Joseph recognizes that 
these are his brothers. And then when he decides to make himself known to them, once again it says, Joseph wept. This time, he is weeping for unbelievable joy. Because for all those many years, he longed to be connected to his family. He longed to see his brothers. And when he finally, finally came to the place where he was going to be reunited, he wept with unbelievable joy. I think I've shared with you the story of when my granddaughter was born. My, my, my daughter got married very young like I did, and, and she was 20, and, and so I was so excited. I was so excited because I, I knew that I was going to get maybe a grandchild pretty quick. And, um, and the truth was, I had a lot of regrets about my parenting. I had a lot of regrets about some of the things I, I had done in my youth and my immaturity as I was trying to raise my kids. I so emphasized behavior over so many other things. And, and I, wanted, I wanted this grandbaby because I wanted a bit of a do-over. But my daughter, in her selfishness, waited almost 12 years before they had a child. And, and then... Um, they had decided to have this adoption. It was a miraculous story. I won't tell you that one, but um, met this young pregnant girl who immediately fell in love with my daughter and her husband and wanted them to have this child that she could not raise. And so we were, you know, keeping tabs on Katie and when, you know, and then, then got the call. Katie's in labor, and I jumped on an airplane, and I flew into Wyoming, and then I had about a two-hour drive. And I, I got to the hospital about 10, 15 minutes right after Francesca Frankie, my granddaughter, was born. And I walked into the, to the room, and they have this big room where the, the birth mother is there, and then there's, there's a special place for my daughter and my son-in-law, my, my, uh, Katie, the birth mother. She and her friends are... Um, uh, drinking quite a bit because she hasn't had anything to drink for nine months and so they're partying and they're, very, they're in a very good mood. And, um, and then there's my daughter and my son-in-law and they're just ecstatic and there's just these huge smiles and I go and they hand me Francesca and I uncontrollably begin to weep. I cannot tell you. I tried so hard not to cry. I was embarrassing myself. I am slobbering on the new baby. I don't think that's good for them. And um, I, I, I gave them, I gave her, I, 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 oh, I gave her back to Carla, Carla and I, I ran, I went outside, I composed myself, you know, dried my eyes, I, you know, everybody's having fun, I'm just a real damper on the party, and I walk in, they give me the baby, oh, I just sob and sob and sob, I take the baby with me outside this time, because she doesn't care, and, um, oh, I know that feeling of wanting something, Oh, side note, isn't it amazing that tears can express the deepest pain and the greatest joy? It's just amazing. Joseph, oh, he so longed to be connected to his brothers. If we go back one more time and flesh out the story, you remember there in Genesis 37 where we've begun the brothers having this primary feeling of jealousy. 
If I were to ask the brothers, hey, brothers, I'll ask you, how does dad feel about you? So it says he loved Joseph more. So if I were to ask the other ten brothers, how does dad feel about you? What might we say? What might they say? How might they respond? Is it possible they would say something like this? Dad does not love me. Dad loves Joseph. And if I were to ask them, how do you feel about Joseph? Well, he's a brat. I mean, he's dad's favorite. He gets this beautiful coat. The, the story right after that is Joseph has these two dreams. And in both dreams, there is this, this sense in which first it's the, um, it's the sheaves of wheat, and the sheaves of wheat bow down. And then there's, there's a story about the, the moon and the stars, and the stars, bow, and they bow down, and the brother, what's the interpretation? Well, Joseph says, well, I'm the one that everybody's bowing down to. That's a nice story to hear from your younger brother who's dad's favorite. So you're saying we're going to bow down to you. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what the dream said. They conclude Joseph is a brat. Joseph deserves our hatred. Says they hated Joseph. But why? What did Joseph do? It, the, Joseph received a coat from his dad, and we will discover very quickly that the two dreams Joseph had were in fact true. He didn't make those up. He was telling the truth. He, he didn't lie to them. It's interesting, I've heard lots of sermons on Joseph, and almost always I've heard that Joseph was this bratty, haughty kid. But in fact, I can find no evidence for that. He was just being Joseph. And when it says that the, the brothers hated Joseph, I don't think they really hated Joseph. I don't think they were really mad at Joseph. That's who they could express their anger do you think it makes sense that they were mad at dad? You see, they had this belief that if Joseph loves, if Jacob loves Joseph more, he must love Joseph at 100%. And there must be no love left over for me. They believed that love was a limited quantity. And they believed that he got it all and they got none. But if I were to interview Jacob and I said, Jacob, do you hate your other ten boys? What would he say? Well, of course not. I mean, look, look, I, I've, I've, we've kept the family together. I've provided for them. They have enormous wealth. I, I'm, I've been with them for years and years. I've never kicked them out. I, I've never said, go away from me. But the, the boys had this sense that they weren't enough for dad and that dad 
dad was holding out on them. Think for a minute about, if you would, as you, you think through the Bible, think how many times this story of sibling rivalry appears. There's so many, so many stories. Isaac and Esau, the, the sisters, the, the, Jesus' most famous story about the prodigal son and the older brother, and the very, one of the very first stories, Cain and Abel. Where Cain kills Abel. Why? Because he felt like Abel got all the love and he got none. And if we were to go back just a little bit more to discover what happened before what happened happened, um, we see the very, one of the very first stories in which God creates everything and everything is good. It's all It's good. And he's describing his goodness to the two people that he made that are good and he loves so much. And he says to them, I don't want you to eat of the two trees in the center of the garden. We translate that, that God said, you can't eat of the tree. Can't typically should mean unable. It wasn't that they were unable. God didn't build a wall around it. And in fact, it was a good part of the garden. If we were to write the Bible at that point in time, the Bible would be very small, and it would simply say this, it's all good. I'm suggesting you don't eat of those two trees. Isn't it interesting? How many bad things have preceded somebody telling somebody you can't do something. I remember when we were in college. College, we're pretty much adults. We're at the Ch- you know, Chinese restaurant, friends there, and somebody says, I bet you can't eat a tablespoon of that hot mustard. What do you think he wanted to do then? Eat the tablespoon of the hot mustard. What they meant was, it's not that you can't physically, of course, you can put that tablespoon in your mouth. What you can't do is avoid the consequence of that. It's weird that, and that's what happened to our first parents. You see, the very first lie was this, God is holding out on you. You can do this You can be God and not suffer the consequence, the responsibility of being God, of knowing. You take the responsibility of good and evil. God's holding it out. You can handle that. Why in Genesis 50? were the brothers afraid? When Joseph saw, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did? From the moment they realized that Joseph was alive 
And there was many years from that moment till this moment they believed this. A single decision can ruin your life and there's no way around it. A single decision, a single moment in time will ruin your life and there's nothing you can do about it. The only thing that would make sense to them is that Joseph would kill them. And the only thing that was keeping them alive was Joseph didn't want to do that to his dad. The minute dad died, they knew it was over. There's an interesting verse here in the story, verses in the story where it says that the brothers told Joseph that dad had whispered to them to tell Joseph that, hey, when I die, be sure you don't hurt us. Now, I don't know this for sure. I'll tell you my thoughts. I think they made that story up. That makes no sense to me. Why would, why would Jacob, who had a very loving and in, intense relationship with Joseph, not tell Joseph, hey, when I die, don't kill your brothers? Instead, why would he tell the brothers that? Because the brothers were so afraid. Their whole life was about fear. Because they did not believe that forgiveness was real. What's the story of Joseph? Our very first question was this. When the brothers came, Joseph saw that they were afraid. They told this weird story. He wept. Joseph had wanted one thing. He wanted to be connected to his brothers. It says all those years ago, some people believe it was scholars, it was 17 years earlier that he revealed himself to them. When he wept with joy, finally I get to be with them. He said to them, I forgive you. End of story. A couple weeks ago, we took the, we took the uh, I took the, the staff out to have a fun day out on the lake and took them out on, on our boat and we were having a good time and, and um, Peter, Peter wanted to, to ski and uh, you know I hit the throttle, Peter went over the front of the ski and he tore his hamstring bad, really bad. Like, and I've done that, it, I can't tell you how much that hurts and oh, you know I felt terrible. Total accident. Peter's not mad at me. You know, I, he didn't blame me. He, well, but let's say, let's say I actually had intended to do that. Let's say, you know, I'm just sick of Peter getting all the glory. You know, he's a big author. Everybody knows Peter. And I, I, I you know, I was just, I'm just jealous of him. You know, he's good looking, not fat. Anyhow, I could go on and on. Um, and so let's say that you know, I, I, when I put the ski boot on him, I really cranked it so he wouldn't come out of it. And then when he said, hit it, I hit it, baby. 
And then, you know, when he tore his hamstring, you know, I'm pretending to be sad, but inside I'm, <laughs> that'll show him, that'll bring him down just a couple of notches. And, and let's just say that, you know, a week later, I go, oh my gosh, I cannot believe, I, I cannot believe I did that. And I go to Peter and I say, Peter, I am so sorry. I've been so jealous and I really did want you to hurt. And I, will you please, please forgive me? And Peter says, of course, yes. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being honest. And yes, I forgive you. I, I know what it's like to do a dumb thing in an irrational moment. And I forgive you. I, I, I see Peter a couple days later. We're going to go to lunch. And I say, Peter, oh my gosh, that thing I did to you. Will you, uh, please, 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 will you forgive me? Peter goes, yeah, I, I told you I'd forgive you. I know, I just feel terrible. Please forgive me. You know, I see him a couple weeks later. Hey, Peter, how you doing? How's your leg? Eh, it's still a little sore. Oh, Peter, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Please forgive me. What, every time I see Peter, oh, please forgive me. Who's the story about? Who, which of us cannot believe? Which one of us doesn't comprehend forgiveness? And here's the reality. As long as I believe that Peter cannot forgive me, I can never be connected to Peter. It's not Peter's fault. Peter could long to be my friend. Peter could do everything he, everything he could to be connected and intimate with me. But as long as I believe that I can't be forgiven, we can't be connected. Joseph wept because even after all these years, there's nothing he can do. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. Oh, the last thing Joseph wants is for his brothers to see themselves as his slaves. They're still believing this story that you can't really be forgiven. You've you got you to gotta earn it all back. You've got to even the scales. And then Joseph says this marvelous gospel truth. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? I'm not God. I have no right to hold you to one bad decision. In fact, God has made that bad decision good. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. I love this. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Back in Genesis 37, where the, what happened before what happened happened, and we began our story, it says the brothers could not speak a kind word to Joseph. It's remarkable. Joseph believed that a life cannot be ruined by one mistake. He did not spend all those years. He was 17 when it happened, and now he's about to die. He's an old man. He's an older man. He did not spend his time plotting revenge. 
He spent his time longing for the reunion he believed could happen because he believed in forgiveness. If we surrender to the story of forgiving love, if we believe that, no life can be ruined by a single mistake. But if we don't, the smallest mistake we could make can destroy a life with fear. And that's the gospel the God of love who longs to cast out our fear. Let's pray together. Father, one of the reasons I love your word is you keep telling the same story over and over. that you can save us. That you long not for revenge. Oh, you long for intimacy with us. It does seem too good to be true. And as we've heard in the words of scriptures, oh, help us believe that. I pray for my friends who the fear has gripped them. I pray that they would know the freedom that Joseph had and that you offer. Amen. I don't know that there's really any transition all that necessary to our experience of the Lord's Supper. I mean, if there's any story that reminds us once again that there, there is freedom in the love, it's this story. If there's any story that reminds us that the most horrible moment in all of history can be made into the most wonderful story in history, it's this story. Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, that he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Oh, what a horrible thing. For the forgiveness of sins. Oh, what a marvelous story. And then afterwards it says, he took the cup this is the blood of the new covenant, the new deal. You're never, you're never going to work your way out of fear, but you can receive the free gift. The brown cup is wine, and the white cup is juice.
We have, I don't know your religious tradition, but we have what is called an open table, which means everyone's invited who wants to taste the freedom that Jesus offers. I'd invite you, if, if you want, if you need prayer for something physical, emotional, spiritual, you could tell your friends here who want to pray with you what's going on, or you don't have to say anything. They'll just pray for you to come to the, the river of life. I'm reminded of that New Testament verse. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. As Peter often says, believe the good news. Amen.